the area of the hiring process that still has the most amount of biases. In fact, that 60% of the biases still come into play during that shortlisting process. On the podcast today, we are talking to Reham Sati, the co-founder and CEO of Mevitai, an organisation applying data to the hiring process. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, wishing you a happy VE Day 75. So today, we're recording this yesterday, but today is VE Day celebrations. Akish, have you got plans to join a street party? Old-fashioned British, you know, spirit and all that? Yeah, um, yeah, there is actually. Well, to be fair, um, I, well, I I volunteered or, to, or said that I would attend a social distanced um, street party happening like on, on my on my street um we've got like a lovely green in front of the houses here so nice. yeah um had a neighbor kind of knock yesterday and, and say that they're they're looking to organize it um but it's yeah it's very much kind of bring your own tea bring your own <laughs> drinks and that sort of stuff and just kind of watch the, the kids run around and play, really. Um, and I you bring your own tea and cakes doesn't really do it for me because I'm not a very good baker. The only thing I've mastered along with probably half the country during this lockdown is banana bread. Yeah. Cakes j- cakes are just a disaster when I try them. Yeah. All your tortillas. I mean, I, I don't know if the people... Uh, not really tea party, is it? Uh, well, I don't know. It depends if Mexican tea party. I don't know. You could always, <laughs> you could always switch it up. Take some tequila and tortillas and then, you know, you're talking. Yeah. Um, it yeah, might so make the music from 1945 sound better, tequila. Yeah. Not a George Formby and Vera Lynn. I don't know, too much of that. I mean, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I, I, I said I'll come and take part. Um, just good to see anyone else apart from myself, really. Um, you know, when you've been stuck in your own house for about five weeks. But um, yeah, so I, I said I'll take part. Got, got to get okay. involved, don't you? Have you seen that the BBC are replaying um, Churchill's speech, apparently, at three o'clock? Are they actually? Oh, I've, yeah. not seen, I've not seen that, but um, sure that feels a bit OTT to me. No, uh, yeah, I, I can only think about one person that we both know that would that would love it. Would would be Jake Parker. I imagine he's. Oh yeah, you know, he'll be I, there. I, I imagine he's got his whole living room set up, and if he listens to this, I'm sure he'll uh, he'll drop us a message as well. So that's one for Jake, definitely. Um, he's a very big Churchill fan. So yeah, yes. Mo- moving forward, uh, because. I think we're applying all sorts of bias there to people who might enjoy it. <laughs> and that's probably unfair of us. And bias is a bad thing. Um, and today's interview is all about bias and how technology can help minimize bias in the hiring process with Reham Sati. So we'll hand over to the interview and then we'll come back with some comment and news afterwards. So on today's show, we have another returning guest, which is lovely, especially in this, these times where meeting people that you don't necessarily know over over a video interviewing platform is not the easiest thing. So we get to welcome back Reham Sassy, the co-founder and CEO of Mivitai. How are you today? Oh, I'm good. Thanks. How are you doing, David? Not too bad. We had you, yeah, we had you on the show probably about a year, just over a year ago. Oh, you make me sound old. Yes. <laughs> you was about a year ago. I don't think that makes you sound old. Considering <laughs> <laughs> how, how long we've been in lockdown, I feel old. So. Yeah, that's true. I did see quite a funny meme yesterday of a. Uh, it was a person saying, "Have you been? Uh, have you been to Nando's before?" And then it was Rose from Titanic saying, "It's been eighty-four years," <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was quite funny. Yeah. Uh, anyway, how are you? Yeah, no, good. Keeping well, um, and a lot of. Changed since 
a year, I would say. A lot of developing, yep. a lot of growing uh, and loving it. Tell us a little bit about who yeah. MeVitae are and, and what you guys do. Sure. So MeVitae is a, what we call a deep tech HR solution that's around the concept of optimizing how employers in organizations make better decisions without biases. And by the term biases, I mean the, the broader definition, algorithmic, unconscious slash cognitive biases that our brains have. And it's around deploying these technologies that we've built that allows us to be able to shortlist top diverse talent and redact components of CVs associated with biases to ensure that everyone gets an equal opportunity. And Mevita is all around delivering that effectively and efficiently to organizations through their existing HR platforms that they use or ATS systems. Is it naive of me to think that those organizations that are still hiring, because they can't meet people face to face, because the traditional hiring process has been disrupted, that Mm. that would lend an opportunity for allowing some of those biases to be taken out of the process because it's not kind of gut, oh, you know, I'll I'll meet them gut feeling and and maybe there is more process being put in place to try and make sure they're hiring effectively when they can't meet someone. Or is it unfortunately the other direction that actually it makes it harder to take those biases out? So let me say firstly that it's impossible to remove a bias. Mm. it's only possible to postpone it for as long as possible. Now, in the traditional hiring world, yes, you normally would meet someone face-to-face, but the beginning steps and what we discovered is that the area of the hiring process that still has the most amount of biases, in fact, that 60% of the biases still come into play during that shortlisting process. Mm. Now, when we have everyone in lockdown and with this whole situation, that shortlisting process still has those biases and they still need to be you know, redacted and, and optimized as soon as possible. And whether you end up having video interviews or not, that still that beginning process is still absolutely crucial. And organizations are mostly focusing on the other end when it comes down to this lockdown, doing the video interviews, et cetera. But at the very beginning, we still it's quite important that we try and minimize components. And I've seen organizations putting things into place to actually optimize that. Um, but at the same time, we know that you don't want to delay the hiring process too long either. I mean, yeah, it is that point, isn't it? Does this make an HR talent team reassess the whole process or as you alluded to there, are people focusing very much on oh, how, how do we how do we reshape that final part of the process and leaving the rest of it fairly untouched? Yeah, this is the perfect time to be creative, be innovative and push the boundaries. Because mm. right now, there's a lot of change happening in society. And we've got a bit of leeway and a bit of time to make changes and adjustments. And so I have seen organisations actually put things into place that combat biases but also allows them to still do those critical roles and critical hires in their organizations which is absolutely crucial and it still makes the hiring process efficient 
and gives everyone an equal opportunity in the hiring world. So this is the perfect time to experiment, I would say. Look, a lot of organisations have, unfortunately, furloughed people. They they have mm. let contractors go. There have been redundancies. There mm. are a lot of people who have lost their jobs. Um, mm. And we've gone from a very candidate short market, dare I say, to there, there will, it will still be a candidate short market in certain disciplines. But um, there will be areas where there are more candidates available than there have been for some time as a consequence of what's going on. Yeah. And fingers crossed, if the measures put in place by the government do work mm. and we come out the other side and organisations can pick up pace and, and get back on the, the kind yeah. of an even keel as, as, as quick as, as humanly possible, I suppose there's an opportunity to hire mm. some really great talent out there. Yeah, that is one of the key things I've been telling all of our clients day in, day out. There was an interesting stat I saw the other day that said about about 6.5 million people are going to be laid off during this lockdown in the UK. And that is 6.5 million potential new hires as a result of that. And that's new talent. And because of the supply of, of available talent out there, it means that organizations can go and look out for use external sources to identify talent. And something we've been working on in the background, in fact, is how do you identify passive and active talent? And this is, you know, this is way there are different ways of, of capturing that. You know, there's you can of course use LinkedIn, there's you know people mentioning that they're um, looking for jobs and roles. So there are some great golden nuggets of talent out there and it's just a matter of finding them. And and organizations tapping into that supply. So you mentioned you're helping organizations uh, identify passive and active talent. How, mm. how are you doing that at scale? Because I'd imagine there's a lot of people who, perfectly, to be perfectly honest, if they have lost their job, they, they will need to find a job, but they, some might be discouraged by the, by the current market and kind of go, well, who's hiring right now? And just decide to, to wait until, if, if they've got a little bit of money in the bank, if they've got that luxury, to try and wait until the market picks up again and may, maybe they would miss out on opportunities. Yeah, and I think it depends on the sector. There are, of course, areas of industry where there is a huge surplus of people hiring. You know, I think there was Amazon that said they were hiring 750,000 new employees. Um, mm. And it's the same case in healthcare, law. There are industries where they actually require more talent. Um, in our case, the way we've been kind of looking into being able to identify talent is using um, what we call, you know, using social media to identify talent, um, such as Twitter, using forums, using articles, blogs, etc. As much information that we can gather from the web to try and identify people who we think could have the potential. And that relay is really important to being able to understand the future of work and where skills are going to be of demand and which ones are going to be in, in supply during the next year or so. So what coding languages are going to be key in the next six months and finding those people in different areas of the web and providing those people to these organizations and saying, you know, here is a list of a hundred people who we think you should, you know, watch out for. These people could have real potential in, and you could you know, look to hiring them. And that's, we've done that using our technology and, and that's how we scaled it out really. 
You talk about being a deep tech solution. Um, mm. How much uh, automation is is in the process? How much machine learning is in the processes of, of of the tools that you offer? Yeah, no, of course. So the way we've spent about three plus years developing Mivitai from the, from the ground up, and we got three kind of key areas that we consider our, our team to be kind of expertise in. Uh, the first one is, is date, core data, or what we call core data anyway, and it's the ability to extract information from the web. And currently, we, the amount of data that our system has is about 10 billion data points of just pure knowledge, um, everything from books and articles to you know, university content, etc., and then again, through our natural language processing, that allows us to be able to understand context and semantics in someone's writing and how someone writes. And these modules of technology therefore allow us to plug in and play to solve different challenges. And when you're referring to machine learning, we, we use a whole array of techniques that allow us to understand the hiring preferences of an organization, but making sure that's as biased as possible by specifically focusing on certain parameters, you know, for example, you know, how um, different skills relate to one another. So what we call pure facts, as opposed to subjective information that can skew algorithms um, and really impact who gets shortlisted. And all of those things together allow us to kind of make sure that we're efficient in how we, we make decisions in the hiring world. So bringing together two two strands of this conversation, you obviously know a fair amount about automation machine learning. Hmm. Equally, there was a report in the press not too long ago that said that almost half of bosses in 45 countries are speeding up plans to automate their business as workers yeah. are forced to stay at home. The, the figures towards the end of March, we're now in April, of course, but towards the end of March showed that 3.3 people had fi- filed for unemployment in the US. That number has since spiraled, hasn't it? But um, hmm. there is there is a human cost, but there is also a livelihood cost going on mm. uh, in this crisis. Mm. Um, and yet lots of organizations, half of organizations preparing to automate, many of them aren't anywhere close to being in the position to do this successfully, right? I think this is the perfect, like I said, it's the perfect time to automate. In the, in the case of startups and smaller organizations, they're much more adaptable and willing to change the way they work uh, for example you know having video conferences and being able to to hold that you know for all the meetings pretty much i've been having all my meetings online whereas for larger organizations it's a, it's a need to adapt and and the opportunity is there to do that but that doesn't necessarily mean laying off more jobs and more people because you can obviously reskill talent there are areas in in terms of roles that still require human interaction. Um, for example, if we're talking about the world of HR, you still need someone to interview candidates. So you, you don't necessarily need to replace people. And that's why I, I am always fond of the term augmented intelligence rather than mm. you know, using the term artificial intelligence, which always has this kind of man versus machine connotation to it but at the moment a lot of organizations have started to look for automation and I think it's it it is a positive thing because it means that we can have more time doing things that are absolutely crucial to our day-to-day living 
and allows us to be a bit more creative and, and focus on the things that we love to do. But it's not necessarily a bad thing. It is interesting, though, that a lot of companies uh, took a bit of time to get used to Teams and they got took a bit of time to get used to Zoom, which I suppose yeah. is quite low tech. Uh, yeah. A majority of companies, according to the report, said they were already planning major transformation before the pandemic hit. Mm. Kind of doesn't doesn't feel quite authentic that there's so many organizations that found just remote working hard it oh. surely is a long road to automation for, for many certainly enterprise businesses definitely there and I, i've i've had so many conversations with large organizations and you know they've all said they were adjusting to teams and to using skype and all of these resources and we also have to give them credit that these are large organizations it's not the same as when you have a, a smaller startup where there's a smaller team and it's much more adaptable. And it, there are steps that are required that a large organization needs to to take in a steps to making sure that they automate properly. Because you, what you don't want to do is end up building or doing all these these uh, executing all these steps and measures and then realizing you've done it wrong. So of course I understand that the fact that things do take time. But the fact that this lockdown enables them to be able to do it faster and actually brings the need to the forefront of their mind could only be a positive thing. Um, mm. What do you think? I think it's the kind of thing that is very easy for uh, uh, someone in the boardroom to say at a moment like this. Yeah. <laughs> Reality, though, when you get back to work and you realise the level of effort needed and how untidy your data sets are etc etc and that it might take two years to build a data machine capable of kind of getting your your business transformed to the point that you can successfully deploy automation yeah yeah so you don't I, need to go automatically all the way to, to have no it true so this is where i think corporates can use the the mvp the lean approach this is the the right timing to be able to take these baby steps Mm. And and automate things, um, and it doesn't have to go from zero to a hundred. It's just things to set set the automation in motion that doesn't feel like a threat or to to employees, but also making sure that organisations are accountable and taking responsibility for the potential of automation and doing it right. Like maybe uh, deploying a little bit of automation and machine learning to the beginning of their hiring process to try and minimise the bias. Oh, yes. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, Reham, thank you very much for taking some time to chat to us today. And uh, look, good luck as this uh, this lockdown continues. Hopefully it'll thank be you. over before too long. No, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it and, and keep safe. I should point out to anyone who's listening if they can hear a nice bird song in the background. I've been banished to the garden whilst recording today's episode. So sorry, sorry for that, but it probably provides a nice soundscape. If if a plane suddenly comes overhead, it's because I live under the Heathrow flight path. <laughs> it's not when they listen to it in their headphones. I think there's a bird inside their house or something. No. <laughs> Why is this plane coming through the roof? Yeah, fact, exactly. I can hear one in the background right now. Anyway, never mind. Mm. Um, look, we're both involved in the hiring process. Were you surprised that 60% of bias happens during the shortlisting process? Because honestly, I was. Um, well, I'm, di I'm different to you then. I wasn't. I wasn't surprised. You should. Well, ev everything suggests that you should be, given that we live in such a diverse and 
you know, kind of open-minded society. Um, but I was, yeah, I was not surprised. Um, in fact, no. I, I, I did, I didn't think it would, it would be as high as 60%. That's over half. And if you think about, you know, how many people get hired or how many jobs are advertised and selection processes all happening at once, even in a, a town or a city, 60% is, is a lot. Um, well, this is, this is my yeah. point, and maybe it's it's because I, I view it through a tech angle. Because it's a candidate short market, if you've got someone who's got the skills, mm. actually the bit of paper becomes neither here nor there in terms of their background, their ethnic, and ethnicity, etc., which is obviously the way that it should be, and you mm. just want to talk to them. And, and I would imagine that, unfortunately, bias creeps in after that. So maybe it's my technology bias of, of only looking at it from our point of view rather than possibly other sectors and markets. Mm. I think I think she she mentioned kind of different sectors as well, but I think in well I, I think th- there is an underlining issue. We've had plenty of of guests in the past, haven't we? Talk about mm. the the bias, you know, the the I, I guess the the presence of diversity and inclusion yeah. within certain organisations. You know, we 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 had an interview a few weeks ago where I think more of the Fortune is it one hundred um, CEOs. Are, are listed as Dave and Steve. Uh, is, is it Dave and Steve? Or, yeah, I think Dave, and, Dave and Steve. Yes. Dave and Steve. All right? Says so, something about people who call themselves Dave. Yeah. Let's not go into that, David. Um, so, yeah. Hep- Hepsi from Equality Group. Thanks for that. Yes. That's Quest- it. Questioning myself. Anyway. Exactly. Exactly. And then we had um, Louise on, on a yep. few weeks ago who talked about, you know, how she herself had to do extra qualifications because she felt that that was the only way you know, she would get further or she was told by, I think it was a university tutor or professor or something. Um, you know, so hang on, that's a really good point because that, that does relate directly to the 60%, you know, get a PhD because then you'll have a doctor in front of your name. You'll be Dr. Maynard Atom and Mm. people won't know that you're a female. And I mean, Mm. that is just awful. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, but, but again, so then you asked me if I'm surprised, I'm Mm. not because, you know, Would, would would if if we were to use that example, would let's say Louise's chances be different if she didn't have a doctor's you know kind of title in in, in front of her name? Um, unfortunately, unfortunately, me Vita's research says yes. Exactly. So we shouldn't be surprised. I, one thing I do find interesting though, I had a chat um, with the head of talent for the WWE yesterday, and he was talking about the fact that they are a global company, but located on basically kind of four square miles in Massachusetts, I think he said. Mm-hmm. Could be Connecticut. Anyway, either way, a very small area within the US, but they're a global company. Mm-hmm. But actually, this this situation might force them to become a global company because all of, a, all of a sudden, it doesn't really matter where you're based, and it opens up a whole global pool of candidates, uh, essentially, for hire. Um, and if I think about our own business... Like, you know, we, we, we weren't tribal, but there was definitely a London, Birmingham or London regions thing, which now mm. makes absolutely no sense because everyone's in their own living room anyway. Yeah. Um, I, I can see the, the lockdown having that effect on businesses in terms of hopefully dealing with bias because it opens up a broader, more global, truly global potential uh, uh, staff kind of profile. Mm. And, and I, I think, I, I think now... Given the, if if we were to think about home, or, or if we were to think of biases in terms of, you know, if, if uh, a, a lot of times we hear about return to work 
mums, for example, right, that want to come to work, but they want to, rather than doing a five-day week, they want to condense everything into a four-day week, or they want to do a large amount of work from home and then kind of come into the office ad hoc, right? Um, Mm. I think a lot of employers now, in, in things like that, I think there will be a lot more kind of open to it. A, we don't know what's going to happen with going back to work and if everyone will be allowed to always attend um you know work at the same time um Mm -hmm. you know in terms of how many people are in the office but also from a from a perspective of you know trust and actually looking at productivity i think organizations will now find and say hang on you know we can be just as productive from home we can do just as much work as we were to do in the office so why don't we you know take someone um i mean certainly in the short left field certainly in the short term this idea of kind of you know running walking cycling to work or getting on the tube mm. on staggered start times the tube's going to be an absolute nightmare whatever they do mm. because of the restrictions on the number of people are going to be able to have on the trains even across a staggered start time you're just going to have this massively long difficult rush hour it's, it's going to be no more productive to have people struggling in and out for hours mm. And then you, you, you're right, you know, companies have also got to question, well, hang on a minute, should we let these people in? Because at the minute you're at home and, and you're only putting yourself at risk if you go out. Mm. But if you, if you go out and get on the tube or then go to the shops and don't follow social distancing or whatever else, and there are a lot of people who unfortunately in shops are not following social distancing, they're ignoring one-way systems or whatever else, yep. um, you're putting your colleagues at risk. And exactly. the company has to then weigh up that, that, um, that issue. Mm. And and yeah, and and I think from organisations, then you will start seeing a bit more of an adaptive approach. I I, th- I think organisations and businesses have been great during this. Um, you know, the, I've got to put that out there, and you know, our organisation included. But I think what we will now see is true inclusiveness. I, I I think it will just open people up. And again, going back to the point I raised a few weeks ago having that human element back into business that yeah. will also help with you know trying to come down on on, on the various biases that that might uh, hinder the selection and recruitment process i think i think it's great that me vitai um is using the internet uh, various news sources articles blogs to look at the future of work and try and create create a list of potential hires um that organizations might have missed because the market, you know, she makes that point, 6.5 million people are going to be laid off, 6.5 million potential new hires. Mm. Um, it's going to be, the, the the job market is going to be flooded and actually a little bit of, of, of tech and a bit of understanding from data about actually which candidates might have been discounted but but could add real value to your organisation in that sea of people available could be really useful. Mm. And also, I think um, with, with, with that level of, of, you know, kind of, um, I guess skill available in the market. I think um, I think people will want to basically. Well, I, I think organisations will see that hey, we can get a lot of talent in here, which maybe come from different backgrounds and different flavours, but also will be able to hit various price points. I think mm-hmm. gone other days where organisations will find the absolute silver bullet. You know. X person needs to have ABC one, two, three, and all the bells and whistles. I think now they'll be open to saying, okay, maybe if someone's coming from a different background or maybe their technology stack is, is a little bit left field, you know, we can still use that because, you know, they have the fundamentals or the basics in, in, in whatever. Um, 
So I, I, I think it can only bode well, or that's with my kind of positive hat on, you know, um, yeah. is, 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 is what I want to think moving into the future. And with products like, um, you know, Rehem's products that, that she's got uh, and, and what her business is doing, I think she's allowing that education piece for organizations um, in order to actually see, you know, what, what the future can look like. That's what well, I look- think. I think there's some good points there. I think, Reham, you uh, provided some great talking points. So thank you for coming back on the show. A returning guest, as we've mentioned, always lovely to have. And uh, yeah, if you're enjoying this episode, please don't forget to rate and subscribe and give us five stars on whatever platform you're listening to. We'll go to a quick, quick advert break and we'll be back with some technology news afterwards. My fa- oh, That's like asking my favorite child. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite podcast? Uh, I think Football Ramble. House of Rugby. Um, Billy Yang's um, podcast. Freakonomics. Um, is Science Versus, and they're always very quirky. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I listen to that a lot just because the camaraderie and the individuals. Your Cast is a brand new podcast series where we talk to people making podcasts. On this show, you're going to hear some exciting new talents as well as some of the biggest names in the podcasting industry. We're releasing weekly in all the places where you'd normally get your podcasts from. Welcome back to Tech Talks. We're going to talk about data protection. What a what a fun subject, eh, Akish? Yeah, data protection. Love it, mate. Love it. <laughs> U- UK is racing to improve contact contact tracing apps privacy safeguards. So basically, NHS officials are racing to introduce a, gr- a greater privacy safeguards for the contract. Uh, contact rather tracing app at the center of the government's lockdown exit strategy amid mounting concern from security experts. Um, basically. Because it's been developed at high speed, people are worried about its ability to keep data safe. The central database is going to hold a lot of uh, anonymized data. And they're talking about a sunset clause. So agreeing to delete all data collected once the country returns to normal. I wonder who's going to be in charge of saying when that is. Yeah. Who do you follow? Who do you, who, who gives the normal green light, you know? And when does a normal green light happen? You know, is it announced? Is it is it only for people you know in the app? Um, I don't know. I've, I've well, I've, I've obviously read and heard a lot about this this app. Um, one thing that surprises me is how, well, in the UK anyway, we're not using any of the big hosting or kind of cloud security companies that have apparently offered their services. I don't know if you've. Mm. If you've heard the same, so apparently you know we're not making it in conjunction with an Apple or a Google or a Amazon or a, you know other kind of hosting or, or data server organisations. Um, so I think that's the main concern. Whereas the government is holding your data rather than you know uh, an, yeah exactly an organisation that is used to it and taking on that demand will not be a problem for them because they already take on most of the world's data. Do you get what I'm saying? So- True, of course. But if that all of that data is held in, in a database, and it's been delivered, delivered, sorry, developed at high speed and it doesn't have the same security features that it was the best security features that it should, mm. then it's going to be vulnerable. Yeah. And people are, you know, people out there will, will focus and target and try and try and uh, embarrass the people who've made it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also not just embarrass the people who made it. I think, if that data was to get leaked and embarrass maybe, you know, people that have also had it, you know, you, you don't know mm-hmm. the the mental effects that that might have on, on people. You know, someone may, someone may be self-isolating for two weeks and not really telling their friends or family or whatever. 
uh, and, and just avoiding contact with people because, you know, they don't want to make other people scared or paranoid. Suddenly data gets leaked, their name comes out, you know, what, what happens then? Um, mm. So I think there's, uh, whilst, whilst I agree with having some sort of a, a tracking or tracing system, I'm not sure the app... I'm not sure the app is the way forward, personally. Um, well, I think it's very interesting, as a final word on this, that Robert Hannigan, the, a former director of the government's intelligence and security organisation, GCHQ, said that whilst he thought the app was not a threat to individuals because it only recorded a person's postcode, it was right that the exercise of surveillance should be reviewed after the crisis. So he said, my own feeling is that this should be time limited. So at the end of the pandemic, we need to pause this experiment and have a proper public debate and parliamentary debate about the use of these apps in future. And I think he's right, you know. We are rushing headlong into um, effectively mass surveillance in other countries where that's happened previously, those measures have not been rolled back, and it's an encroachment on on uh, private life. Uh, and whether or not you think it's for a good cause, um, a public debate and a real pause before we kind of continue is is yeah. called for. Yeah, and I think I think let's just be adults about it. Let why why you know if the government wants to do that, they say right, we're trialing this for the next three four months. Where are we now? May okay, maybe even what six months or whatever um and say this is what we're going to be doing for the next six months this is just so we can try to get back to normal and then we are going to review it and it's going to be discussed in the house of commons and yeah we can take it from there at least then everyone has that kind of end goal to look at and you go you know what you know it, it, it's for the sake of others we're, we're already doing so much right we're already distancing ourselves from our loved ones our, our friends our family our normal daily routines our work you know people are being affected financially so if it is just putting a bit of information in an app they're not going to ask for bank details they're not asking for you know your your kind of personal credit limits or they're not asking for you know these sorts of things it's just let's let's be a little bit open let's help you know each other and and get over this this thing yeah look um akish thank you for joining me today enjoy your party enjoy ve day yeah we'll meet again definitely